Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the latest evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, soon to be author of The Science of Nutrition out December the 30th, 2021, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, we are going to be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with our trusted expert advice. The relationship that we have with food can be complex and in many cases, much more so than you realise, and I really do believe that food should be seen is a source of enjoyment and nourishment, but the truth is, sadly, that it's just not that simple. And this week's Food for Thought sees one of Retrition's very own registered dietitians, Sarah Elder and I, delve into the complexities of disordered eating and how you can improve your relationship with food. Hello, Sarah. Hi. It's a bit strange for us to be, I guess, it's nice and a strange, different thing for us because obviously we work together in the nutrition clinic, but we don't often get the chance to have a chat like this, do we, for a whole hour on eating disorders? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that um, obviously will be really important for our listeners because I think a lot of the time it's very hard, isn't it, to know if you have a good or bad relationship with food because it's not like there's a lot of guidance out there. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's so difficult because in terms of the guidance that is out there, there seems to be lots of information about kind of eating disorders, but a little bit less information about people that might or how to get help um, and support if you've got a disordered relationship with food. And I think everyone's relationship is so unique with food and it kind mm. of comes from our life experiences. And it's it's so difficult to kind of think about, oh, well, actually, have I got a good relationship with food? Have I got a bad relationship with food? And it's really important that we actually take some time to think about that. Um, because if your relationship with food is taking over your whole day and you're starting mm. to kind of worry about things of what you can and what you can't eat, if you're getting anxiety around food choices, of what food you can have, what your food you can't have, if you're spending loads of time thinking about what what you're going to have for your next meal, what other people have been having, are you mm. making right food choices or spending lots of money on that as well, the chances are actually that relationship might be quite a negative one. Um, and I think that that we need to be aware of that because if it's having a really big impact on your, your life and having such a negative impact and taking up um, a lot of space within, within your life, then we kind of need to think about, right, well, how can that be a little bit better? Yeah, 100%. And, and what would you say then? So I guess the ultimate question is, what is the difference for everyone listening between a disordered relationship with food and an eating disorder? Yeah. And I think if we kind of think about relationships with food almost on that spectrum, we've kind of got 
a spectrum that's that's from what people would kind of class as that normal eating for them and that um, family situation that they're in, that social situation that they're in. We then, it comes on to that disordered eating pattern and mm. then eating disorders. Um, and what we need to think about is, well, what is a clinically diagnosed eating disorder? And what we tend to use within kind of the clinical setting and, and within the NHS is our DSM-5 or our ICD-10 criteria. Um, and that's to diagnose things like anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, ARFID, OSFED, um, and diagnose those clinical diagnoses of an eating disorder. However, we've got this this middle part of that that kind of um, spectrum, really, where people have a very disordered relationship with Mm. food. And it's when we're thinking about that, how to distinguish that disordered eating is defined as that abnormal eating behavior away from the social and that cultural norm. And that can include any kind of fad dieting, attempts to kind of eat, eat clean, over-exercise, or use other very negative behaviours um, that might be used to, to kind of influence food choices. So people might do things such as purge or take laxatives um, as a way to control the their kind of intake. And we do know that a lot of the population could be considered to have that disordered relationship with food because they might be avoiding food groups, they might be skipping breakfast, um, they might be following those kind of fad diets that, that we yeah. see, but it's the impact that that has on someone's day-to-day life. And if they're denying their um, kind of their hunger signals, if they are becoming quite socially isolated and withdrawn because of the food choices that they're making doesn't allow them to go meet up with friends and do the fun things that they want to do. Um, and if maybe they are feeling a lot of anxiety and guilt around meals, that's when we need to start to think, okay, there's some red flags here. This could be some disordered eating because it's affecting and infiltrating quite a lot of parts of of someone's life. Yeah, 100%, because it's so difficult as well as a health professional, I think, because you don't want to categorise somebody and sometimes labelling can be harmful, but there's also a need to a degree, isn't there, to decipher what you've just said mm-hmm. in order to get the help that people need. So in terms of who is going to make this diagnosis, if you could share who should somebody go to in order to discover this? And does there tend to be a trend, do you think, to people that you find are slightly more susceptible to this form of disordered eating? So I guess there's two questions there. So I guess that that first question about diagnosis, and I think you're right, I think sometimes having that label on your food choices um, can be very difficult in in kind of making a label in terms of, um, do I have disordered eating? Do I have an eating disorder? Do I have a difficult relationship with Mm. food? I think for some people, it can be very helpful. um, And for other people, it's not so helpful. And I think we have to work with people to kind of identify, is it going to be helpful to have that diagnosis or not? But if you are suffering and you you feel that that this is kind of a disordered eating um, and you're worried, is this is this developing into an eating disorder, then you would need to go to your GP and speak with them and ask for, for some support and have a discussion around what and how those thoughts are affecting your day-to-day life and it's generally kind of um, a a mental health team that would then be able to diagnose a clinical eating disorder and they would use that DSM-5 or ICD-10 criteria Mm. and I guess in terms of if there's a trend um, kind of or if there tends to be kind of a trend towards someone who's sort of more susceptible to develop um, disordered eating was that the second question yeah who yeah. Is, is there a type that you see um yeah a more susceptible yeah. type I mean I think what we kind of know is that anyone un- unfortunately has a has a risk of developing disordered eating patterns and 
that can come from kind of a you could develop that because someone might be using those um disordered kind of eating relationships to distract them from what's happening elsewhere within their life they might be using that as a comfort but there seems to be quite a lot of research around clinical diagnoses of eating disorders um but when we're thinking about disordered eating it's much more difficult to kind of get numbers and and find Mm. out actually well who is going to be more susceptible I guess to to developing the this disordered eating um but what we do know is that when we think about people who have developed very difficult relationships with food they might have had quite a lot of high exposure to the media who are kind of promoting certain food types um, or they might have perceived pressures to look a certain body way. There might be genetics with kind of within their family. There might be a history of people that have had disordered eating or sometimes certain personality traits as well. So perfectionism and impulsivity, people with those kind of um, personality types might be more susceptible to developing disordered eating, which could then go on to um, kind of an eating disorder and and being diagnosed with that. Yeah, and I guess there's just so, there there are so many factors, I suppose, Mm -hmm. to address on this question. And I think we should touch on the fact that the last year or the unprecedented times with the pandemic has seen cases of eating disorders skyrocket. And I know you joined our team in the last year and the demand has just been completely overwhelming. So do you think that the culture and the combination of COVID has really, yeah, it is to blame for this rise in numbers? I mean, when we kind of, you're exactly right what you said there in terms of the the number of people that have come forward and said, I need some help and I need support with, with my disordered relationship with food, or they feel that they might have a diagnosed eating disorder. Mm. That has really risen um, in, in the last year. And there's lots of NHS services, private services that um, are out there helping so many people and so many more people than maybe we we've seen before and I guess what we can kind of think about in terms of that pandemic that we've had it's it's caused a lot of change within people's lives and Mm. one of the things that that we do know that kind of happened during COVID is that that people lost some of those social connections we were isolating we were um kind of in our houses we had lockdowns Mm. and so what our normal social interactions of meeting people outside um going to work and meeting friends and family that very much suddenly became an online social connection and things such as enjoyable activities um those those social contacts meeting up with friends developing new social networks that was all done virtually and the difficulty was at that time as well that we kind of found that that there was lots of messages um, and lots of things with on social media that could be quite triggering and quite difficult for people who might have already had a, a little bit of a difficult relationship with food. And we saw quite an increase of things like um, cook-alongs. Um, we saw yes. lots of an increase of online exercise classes. Yep. Uh, there was loads of stuff, wasn't there, all over the um, the news about telling people that they needed to go for a certain number of walks per day. Oh, goodness, yeah. Yeah, there, there was so much, so many things. And I think if you've already got a very difficult relationship with food and maybe with your body as well, then all of these messages suddenly are coming through different media channels and I think um I don't know the stats on this but I do know there was a huge rise in people using social media at that time oh it was huge even I noticed it I could not get over it and I was pregnant I remember it was just huge skyrocketed yeah absolutely and I think the the trouble with a lot of those algorithms that were on social media at that time is if you looked at one thing it would bring a cascade of other things which might have been really unhelpful situations um whereas maybe that if you'd seen something or someone had spoken about a diet or something that had maybe been quite unhelpful that you would have had really good social connections and discussed that with people however Mm. people were 
were quite isolated during that time. So there wasn't someone else to have that discussion with. So a lot of these messages kind of almost became quite gospel. Um, But also what we know is there was a lot of uncertainty at that time and there was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And what we know is that when people can feel quite stressed and quite worried and there's lots of feelings of uncertainty, we we look for as humans to actually control somewhat something um, and to think, okay, something's going well. And for some people, unfortunately, during kind of um, COVID and, and during lockdown, they, they went towards food to try and control that and mm. um, because that felt that that was something that maybe they could manage and that they could control a little bit mm. um, when everything else felt so uncertain. So it's it, it, those two things kind of coupled together. There's no wonder we kind of saw that rise in people's kind of um, relationships with food actually the difficulties and the disordered kind of eating patterns and people actually reaching out for help and saying do you know what I need some support with this because this is this is now impacting upon every part of my life now yeah it just it just makes me so sad because it's so blatantly obvious when you when you describe it like that and I I think it was almost completely overlooked by the government at the time as well, um, the mental health impact originally that this was having on everybody. And you're right, the messaging in the media at the time was very much, oh, you need to lose weight, you can't. It was a lot of discussion around weight, or I'm a very weight-centric, um, talking about risk of COVID. And people were probably equally scared as well of catching COVID and just so many things but social media in particular if we just delve into social media a little bit more I think it creates completely unrealistic expectations and exacerbated things beyond measure because like you said there's an algorithm and of course if you follow um I don't know a foodie account like mine for instance with recipes on it you might be exposed to so many foodie accounts that aren't by nutritionists or people that have an understanding but with really restrictive information I suppose you'd suddenly get bombarded with maybe a juice detox page or something life is full of what-ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's that difficulty because we have and, and we all know in theory that actually social media is a snapshot of someone's day and that mm. that is a very kind of it, it's maybe five minutes on someone's stories of their day or less sometimes and and people might want to show kind of the best bits of that day which there's nothing wrong with at all but if what you're seeing the best bits of someone's day and your day is not going so well that can be really hard to to see so I think it's it's really important that actually within kind of social media that we're being quite transparent that not everything is 
brilliant all of the time and that people are struggling and to be able to acknowledge that and I think one of the things that I guess we've we've seen quite a lot and I don't know whether this went up or went down or stayed the same kind of within within kind of COVID but I know that it's definitely become more popular over the years is that kind of um those pictures of of what I eat in a day um Mm. and those kind of social media posts and it's so so hard and and that in itself is is an unrealistic expectation one person is sharing what they eat which might be filtered it might be unfiltered you you just don't know um whether that's if they even did eat it they probably you know a lot of the time it's just compiled to look per nobody has the time it takes me so long if i'm going to produce content it's hours You, you you don't just produce pretty pictures in a snapshot and then consume it straight away Absolutely. And and it is that false illusion in terms of what people are saying that they're kind of eating within a day. And I think that in itself very much gives it unrealistic expectation because even if that person has eaten that, then that's what their body needs at that time. And there's so many factors um, among that. And they might be have certain allergies, they might have um, certain medical conditions that they need to follow um, certain kind of, um, I guess, a certain medical diet because of maybe a certain medical condition. Mm. And it's so difficult. And that in itself really causes kind of a lot of anxiety with, with a lot of people that I work with because they're kind of saying, well, that person's able to eat this in a day. And if maybe if I eat that in a day, then maybe I will have that life and what that person has. But it's just, it's it's not like that. And it's so difficult to, ab- to be able to kind of um, identify what is, what is real and what's not real on social media sometimes. And it's not just about what people are eating in a day, but then you've got these social media experts, um, these so-called experts <laughs> as well. Um, and if and, and and I'm sure kind of we've we've both come across them so so many times yeah. in terms of saying and giving out this advice that just isn't correct around either nutrition. Sometimes you see it around medical advice as well. Oh, well shocking, I know. Yeah, it, it's terrible. And and you just think that, well, these these people haven't got a they haven't got a qualification that gives them the right to be able to give this advice but also what they might be advising might be totally unrealistic um but also just not true and there's no evidence behind it so if you're filling your social media feed with things such as what people kind of are eating in a day it what different um so-called I guess experts um are advising it must be so confusing to Mm. think well what should I be having for me what what is gonna help me meet my kind of optimum optimal health what's going to help me meet my my goals and it must be so confusing and I think that there's so many things that are out there that offer these quick fixes um to kind of improve people's health and we saw that quite a lot over over covid I don't know if you'd kind of noticed that what there was lots of adverts for um so herbal remedies and Yeah, and I I was in the newborn bubble just after (laughs) April. So I, but I remembered, you know, I was constantly getting media requests about vitamin C pills and any, yeah, Yeah. people wanting to know what food would be good to fight COVID. I remember that very clearly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think that at that time, it's that scaremongering saying, actually, do you know what? We've we've got a magic fix here, and if you're able to have this food, then um, then you will be able to kind of beat COVID as such, and. And, and they were the kind of messages that we were seeing a lot. And, and we were seeing that far, far too, too much at the moment. And I actually thought that, oh, do you know what? This, things are getting better. But mm. all I'd actually done is I'd, I've cultivated my feed on social media oh. <laughs> um, so that I'm just seeing all of the experts. Of but, course, yeah. But all of that stuff is still out there. Um, and I think especially those discovery pages um, on a lot of the social media, that's where these unhelpful messages start to come in. Um, and it's so 
it's so difficult for people to be able to navigate through that. And do you find in the clinic that because of all of this, obviously we're talking about eating disorders which are psychological, they're mental health illnesses. What is the actual psychological impact then of these products and the advertising and the society that we live in? Is it damaging long term? Yeah, I think what's really interesting when we kind of think about the psychological impact of kind of certain um, health products is that what the companies tend to do is they put a lot of research into the positive benefits and they never really look at the negative side of things Mm. Um, and I think that's why it can be quite difficult to get some research on this because a lot of companies aren't wanting to know about the negatives of their products at all. Um, and I guess this is where our our friends over in um, kind of psychology are really mm. helpful with, with these kind of questions um, and yeah. starting kind of being able to do a deep dive into this and really understanding that impact of these kind of dietary products or these um, almost like detox products as well. And... But what we do know and, and what we see a lot in clinic is that these diet products, these um, detox, this misinformation that's out there is having a huge impact upon people. And that's mm. what we tend to see within clinic. And and, and people are coming in and saying, I've been given the, so many external food rules from social media, from family members, from yes. health professionals, yes. that, and, and from people that you trust. And mm. I think that's what's really difficult here because these messages about nutrition and these food rules are coming from people that are in trusting positions. Mm. Um, and what people have have kind of explained and and spoken to to me about is that they've got these external food rules that they are ignoring their internal intuition around what their body needs and what their hunger signals are. So they're trying to basically override their natural body response. It's really scary. And of course, that would then lead to a physical response. So once you start developing an eating disorder or you gain these food rules, what are some of the, um, I know this is a very big question and I'm asking for a smaller answer, but what are some of the physical impacts on health that you see? And I think the biggest kind of physical impacts that that we tend to see is because of all of these different fad diets because of all of these different external rules that people have Mm. have kind of following and um putting a lot of their a lot of time and energy and money into following what we what we're kind of finding is that whole food groups are being missed Mm -hmm. and there's there's so many depending kind of um on maybe different say juice cleansers or detoxes or um certain diets or that people are doing there's different physical kind of responses that the body has depending on um what people have been following but generally we tend to see a deficit within certain um nutrients so for example if someone is doing um, a, a juice cleanse, for example, and eating much less of the um, the kind of like solid foods and they're having everything kind of as liquid, what we tend to find is that people are missing out on things like fibre. Um, mm. And if someone is missing out whole, whole food groups, they might be missing um, kind of really important dairy sources. Yeah. And what that then can lead to is people might develop these nutritional deficiencies that they hadn't even realized that they were missing out on key nutrients within their diets. And sometimes that can lead to really difficult gut symptoms. It can lead to things um, like low calcium content within the body, which can lead to osteopenia, osteoporosis. Um, for some people, we might get energy and protein malnutrition as well. Mm-hmm. And for others, if they're not following um, kind of that a balanced diet and meeting all of their kind of nutritional needs, they might actually have some micronutrient deficiencies as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so important that 
people are getting the right advice so that they're not missing out on these really key nutrients that are so essential for their physical health. Yeah, 100%. And then to go ahead and break this cycle and regain a happy, healthy relationship with food, how do you go about that within the clinic? Because again, all of these questions will be very big questions, um, which of course are all individual because every case is so unique. But on a general kind of day to day, how would you go about breaking this cycle? So I think you're right in terms of everyone is so individual um, and everyone has individual lives and that's what's so important about kind of that one-to-one support because there isn't one piece of advice that that fits everyone because everyone has different relationships with food Mm -hmm. everyone has different physical um kind of maybe complications people are wanting different kind of health outcomes so what we need to think about first of all the really important thing is for someone to step forward and say, I've got some difficulties and this is how it's affecting me. And that can be really hard for for a lot of people to say that that relationship with food that they've been struggling with has started to really impact upon the whole of their lives. So the first thing that I would always speak to people about and discuss is how is this impacting you and how do you want things to be different? Um, and supporting people to kind of be really honest with themselves um, because if what they're saying is that the this relationship might have been quite difficult for a while with their food choices but more recently it's really starting to take over and have such a negative impact upon their lives then we look at every part of their life to think right how is it impacting you and how do you want it to be a little bit better and what we can then go on from there to do is think about right what education around nutrition do you already have? What do you know? What have you picked up from kind of social media, family and friends? If anything was ever discussed at school, college, university, mm-hmm. um, and actually where's that education come from? And is that the right information that people are getting? And sometimes what, what we can see within clinic is that, that people are, have very... Um, kind of sometimes they've got very set rules around food um, that maybe they've not even realized is affecting quite a lot of their lives and we see it sometimes with um, kind of personal trainers sometimes unfortunately advising really high protein diets Mm -hmm. and and then it's everywhere at the minute and it's one of those things where you think right well actually well that's that's kind of what you've been advised but let's look at what the research behind that is mm. and let's make sure you've got that right information and then what I tend to do is support people to say okay well what do you think about that we've got a bit of a contrast there so what what feels kind of maybe the right step for you um in terms of is that something that you're wanting to continue to follow or actually do we need to modify that a little bit mm-hmm. how is trying to reach that really high level of protein in your diet how might that be affecting you physically socially psychologically as well oh, and then goodness. we start to challenge some of those thoughts because food isn't just about physical health it's about being able to be sociable with your friends your family and if you've got this food rule in your head telling you that you can and you can't have something that can really impact upon whether you can go out for meals with friends whether you Mm -hmm. can go and go to the cinema and get an ice cream um and there's so many aspects of someone's life that 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 can really impact i just want to delve into who basically shouldn't be giving nutrition advice a little bit because it can be very difficult for health professionals like Sarah, like myself, who it's very difficult to be heard with and not wanting any, because it's almost like a cult. I'm going to describe it like a kind of cult. It gets engagement, it sells, it makes money. Um, People may see drastic results, but it doesn't mean it's good for your health. And they often cherry pick a lot of literature or studies that are, and don't look at the wider board. And it's very, very concerning. People don't seem to be aware of their long-term health. It's just goals in the short term. 
And it does seem like this, pro this anyway, I could go on about this protein thing <laughs> for a very long time. But Sarah, I guess to answer my next question, um, why should people go to an eating disorder dietitian to work on an eating disorder? Yeah. And I guess what, what I would kind of say to that is that actually in terms of looking at the education that dietitians and, mm -hmm. and registered nutritionists have, we have studied nutrition um, and how that impacts upon physical health psychological health and your social health we're looking at the that behavior change mm -hmm. um and i think that's why it's really important that we are looking at that person as a whole and what we can find a lot from some health kind of gurus that aren't actually dietitians or nutritionists is what we tend to find is that they don't look at someone as an individual they might look like you've said at one piece of research and say oh this research had good outcomes everyone should do this and they really yeah. push that one thing but what we are the experts in doing is being able to know what that nutrition um, advice is knowing how to support people to make changes that are their goals they're not they're not my goals they're not someone else's goals they're that individual's goals of what they want to be different mm -hmm. and thinking about how we can improve their overall health their behavioral health psychological health the social health their physical health um and in terms of the speciality of of eating disorders we're, we're trained and we we train with um a multidisciplinary team to understand what that eating disorder is and how it's affecting that person on an individual level and we really take a lot of time to understand how it's impacting them in every part of their lives and how we can support someone um individually to be able to improve things that, that that person wants to improve and when we're thinking about us being the experts that, that that's exactly what we are in terms of the experts within that nutrition and yeah. but but the people that are kind of coming into clinic and the clients that I work with are the experts within themselves yes. and having those two things kind of marry up within clinic and developing that relationship and was really understanding who who that person is and who their values are and supporting them through what can be an extremely difficult difficult path they're having mm. to battle with their eating disorder thoughts and do lots of myth busting and trying different foods and managing anxieties and worries um kind of around those foods if if that's a, a goal that they have made whereas someone who isn't an expert in nutrition or who isn't an expert within eating disorders um, or hasn't trained in that area their nutritional advice might not be accurate. They might not be qualified to give that advice. They might not be able to review all of that scientific literature yeah. to see kind of um, the, the, the pros and cons within the certain scientific literature to see whether that scientific literature is a good piece of research paper or whether actually it wasn't a great piece of research. Um, yeah. And that there was maybe quite a lot of bias in that. And we look at information from lots of different sources. And what I would kind of recommend is if people are being given advice from professionals that don't work with people with kind of um, disordered eating or eating disorders, then I really would be recommending that you find someone that, that does, that's been going to be able to spend that time to understand who you are as a person, meet yeah. your goals and, and support you. Thank you, Sarah. It, it's so important. You meant, and the blanket approach is just, yeah. uh, it's because people make a lot of money from it on their apps, on their programs, they make a living from it, but they're not, they're not obviously aware of the consequences or they don't care, quite to put it blankly, they don't care. Um, even if it might appear like they do, they're all showmen or showwomen, if we look at it that way, sometimes yeah. to make a living. Um, right, we do have lots of questions from our questions from our listeners. And the first one is uh, Louisa, is from Louisa rather, and she has said, what exactly does a normal relationship with food look like? I don't understand everyone harps on about moderation, which I think is quite a valid question. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that there's such different kind of compartments really to what is a normal relationship with food Mm. and it can be a really difficult concept and and something to define because what what's normal for one person is maybe not normal to someone else um and I think that what I tend to kind of think about with with the clients that I work with is think about what were things like before maybe this disordered relationship with food happened what were you able to do um and generally what kind of people tend to say is okay well that normal eating for them is that you're able to eat what you need what you fancy um what you're kind of wanting to have on whichever day that you're wanting to have that that you're not governed by any specific food rules Mm. and that if you fancy eating something that you can go and have that and there's nothing stopping you or there's no guilt or shame or worry around that that you're able to go and spontaneously eat something if you walk past um the if you walk past a a takeaway for example you know that actually do you know what I can smell that takeaway maybe I want to have a takeaway tonight um and you're you're basically saying I my internal kind of hunger my internal needs I'm listening to those and Mm. I'm responding to them and I'm not responding to external kind of food rules or social media or what people are telling me that I should be doing so that normal eating is very individual to to kind of everyone and it also impacts upon what your your social norm is um in kind of your culture as well because people will have different social norms around eating um kind of in in different cultures so we need to take that into account as well but it's very much about honoring that appetite and responding to it honoring the fact that if your body's hungry having something that you want to have not feeling like you are restricted in any way Yes, exactly, because restriction is not the one, and it leads me nicely on to um, a question from Diana who said, calories on menus scare me. Um, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I bet and you've yes. had a lot of this in the clinic. <laughs> yes, we, we, we've had quite a lot, and I think especially in terms of um, the new government guidance that's coming out about putting calories onto menus. Yeah. And there's there's lots of pros, there's lots of cons to it. But I think one of the things that's really difficult is that if we're just putting calories on food, then what we're doing is we're focusing that that food means that number Mm. that's on there when Mm. actually food means so so much more than just a number um there's so many other nutrients in there but also when we're going out for meals we're going out for meals to be sociable we're going out for meals to enjoy our foods we're going out for meals for the the fun that is involved within Mm. that and we're not going out for a meal to actually have a little look to see the calorie content that's that's within something and and what that number even means and it is it's a number and actually we need to have energy because that's what fuels our body um and everyone will need certain amounts so even with by putting kind of those numbers on a menu it doesn't really mean much because everyone's so individual um and I just wish that there was kind of a, an option to almost have a menu with calories on for those people that it might help, but mm. then to have a menu that doesn't have any of that information on so that people can so, just go out and enjoy. Yeah, I did a, um, I can't remember what it was, I was on a debate on, I think it's Five Live, I was on mm-hmm. the radio, put on the spot about this subject on calories, yeah. and the opposition said to me, well what they've said is that you can ask for a menu without calories on it if you want but that's not the point and I actually don't think it's fair because if you look at it like you said we know calories aren't that simple we know it's way more about the quality of the food and the nutrient and it most people are already aware of calories in food it's probably not going to make a huge difference and then then you boil down to the fact that it's always penalizing the minority that have who are in society for instance if you are disadvantaged in society and accessibility there's all these types of things and it's almost the same when it comes to food because if you have a mental health illness once again you are discriminated for that Mm -hmm. and 
you're not counted you know the majority always wins and I just feel it's really sad um I absolutely agree and actually when you look at the research and you look into did these calories on on menus make a difference Mm -hmm. it's there's not actually a lot of evidence there um unfortunately and and I think you you, I would absolutely agree with you because there's they're they're doing something to help maybe a certain number of of kind of people um and it's kind of that public health message but actually why can't we be having the menus don't have the calories on and that if you want to have that information then you ask for it and and do it that way around because actually some of that research just isn't quite there to say yeah. that it does even make an impact for um for people when they're wanting to change the options that they're having mm. but what we do know is that it has a huge impact on people that have disordered eating um, or eating disorders and it can really influence their the whole day and influence their food choices which is not what eating is about no exactly thank you yes um i've got time for one more question but that was a really good discussion on that i'm glad we covered (laughs) that topic um so we've got isabel who said i'm worried that my best friend has an eating disorder um she isn't eating enough i don't know how to help her and i think it's really difficult for an Mm. onlooker who's watching somebody that you think has a disordered relationship with food it's very difficult isn't it how do you Mm go about it yeah and I think you're right I think it's really tough and it's really hard for someone to see someone struggling but maybe that that person themselves not realizing that they're struggling as much as as they are and I think that I think it's you sound like a brilliant friend um that's been able to kind Mm. of identify that someone's going through a really tough time at the moment and I think that what's really important is that you as a friend are there to support them and listen to them and not be judgmental not kind of telling them that they need to do this that and the other but just being there as a listening ear to kind of find out what's going on be a little bit curious um figure out how it's maybe impacting upon them um what they think about what's happening and and offering that support to say thank you for sharing that with me and if you ever feel that maybe you want to talk to someone about it I'm here but maybe we can get some support from a professional and I can help you with that and and speak to you um about how how we how we can go to someone and get some support because it's it takes a lot of bravery for for someone to say I'm struggling and and I need some support but having a friend or having someone just open up that question just really kindly and open up that conversation and just checking in with someone can make a huge huge difference um and there's a and lot is it of important sarah just to just to add no yeah. it's my fault because i just think we need to, to get this clarification from <laughs> yeah. you if someone isn't ready is it a wise idea to push it if they don't take kindly it's a it's a really difficult kind of um discussion to have because the thing is if if someone's not ready, what it can do is if you keep pushing and pushing, what it can do is it can strengthen that eating disorder. But at the same time, if someone's really struggling, if they don't get support early, then that eating disorder can become a lot more entrenched and more difficult to kind of recover from, from. And what we know is that early intervention is the absolute key yes. to recovery. Um, and so it, it puts people in very, very difficult situations. Um, so I would always be kind of encouraging someone who's struggling to go to the doctor to seek help to speak to there's lots of online services there's lots of charities that are out there that you can speak to someone about but never just leave it as a friend um because if if you are really worried and they're not taking on your advice thinking right is there is there someone else that we can speak to about that and and gps are are your key person to be able to get kind of that further support yeah, a hundred percent. Thank you so much, Sarah. We're we're going to move on now to something a bit more light-hearted but equally important, which is our fact or fiction round. It's very difficult to do this for eating disorders, I will say. So I hope that I hope they come across in the right way. Are you ready? Oh, I'm a bit worried about this, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's see what happens. Um, okay, here we go. 
exercising daily increases your appetite. Oh, oh, do you know what? I can't say fact or fiction to this. Is that really bad? It's not bad at all. <laughs> go on, go for I it. I think the, the thing is what we kind of... Oh, can I do an explanation or not? Yeah, go <laughs> yeah. for it. That's what it's so, called. <laughs> yeah, I think, I guess what, what we know in terms of when people exercise, that their body needs to have more fuel and they need to have more nutrition. Um, so in some ways, it might it may well increase your appetite. Um, so, but actually, if someone's kind of um, maybe a low weight or if someone is um, has a troubled relationship with activity, I wouldn't be recommending them to exercise to feel hungry um so yeah so sorry that one's not a fact or a fiction that's good that's good here we go um juicing is healthier than blending Juicing is healthier than blending. I think um, I would say false, so fiction with that one because the problem is it's that fiber content um that you've kind of got there um eggs should be limited because of their cholesterol content fiction skipping breakfast increases risk of weight gain Oh, fiction. Mm, do you want to so, expand on that? Yeah, <laughs> so breakfast is a really strange one in, in the sense that breakfast is so important. However, some people just don't like breakfast. But what we know in terms of the research is that having regular meals throughout the day um, actually helps you to kind of maintain a um, kind of a... I don't like the word healthy, but I'm going to have to use it. I know. A healthy I know. body weight. Um, I really don't like the word healthy at all. It's um, hard, isn't it? I think everything now, though, has become very difficult. Language on a whole, the words we can pick, I struggle with this Absolutely. As well. Absolutely. So in terms of having regular meals, that's really helpful from a nutrition point of view because certain foods will be absorbed kind of um, better in smaller amounts throughout the day. So... Um, and I think that in terms of thinking about have re- having a regular intake, we're better off having um, sort of your regular kind of carbohydrates throughout the day. And there's so much in that. So if you're not having breakfast, it means that you may be having a little bit more later on in the day, which is absolutely fine. But it's then just thinking about, well, why am I skipping breakfast? So am mm. I skipping breakfast because I'm worried, I'm scared, or is it just something that you don't like and that you've never done? Um, sorry, that was really long-winded. No, not at all. <laughs> Do not apologise. We want you on the podcast for your knowledge. Um, here we go. Legumes must be eaten at the same time as grains to get a complete protein. Ooh, so this is a fact and a fiction. Yes. Because certain... Um, Oh, certain kind of foods together will help you to meet all of your essential amino acids. Um, so they're kind of the essential amino acids are basically your building box of protein. So if you eat certain foods together, then it may well help you to meet all of those essential amino acids that you mm-hmm. can only get from food and not make. Um, however, if you're having a varied diet throughout the day, the mm-hmm. chances are you're probably meeting what you need. So we don't necessarily need to kind of think about, I must have these two things together all of the time. Brilliant. Always combating a food rule. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fat-free and low-fat foods are always better than full-fat. Ooh. Uh, can I say fact and fiction for this yep, one? Yeah, <laughs> you can indeed. 100%. I'll explain myself. Yeah. So the reason for that is obviously people have different medical conditions, um, and for some people, um, it may well be that they need to, for their medical condition, may need to follow a lower sugar diet. For other people, um, they may need to have a slightly higher fat diet. Um, But there's nothing wrong with either of those things. And it's that word moderation again. There's nothing wrong with having things in moderation. It's just that some foods might be developed um, and might be better for some people with certain medical conditions compared to other people. So it's all about thinking, what are your physical social psychological kind of needs around food Mm -hmm. and if you've got if you're scared or worried about having fat within your diet having a low fat yogurt isn't going to be helpful and that actually you need to be having a full fat yogurt to be able to combat that figure um this is why you see clients in clinic this is why this is why you 
dietitians, nutritionists are qualified. Um, <laughs> that's it. The fewer carbs you eat, the healthier you are. False. So that's fiction. Yeah. Yeah. You are more likely to be slimmer on a plant-based diet. Fiction. Every plant-based eater should supplement with a multivitamin. That is fact um, because there's certain nutrients that if you're um, plant-based that you're less likely to be able to kind of get within your diet. Um, so it is important that you are supplementing. It doesn't have to be kind of like an A to Z multivitamin, but just being aware, depending which foods you are having, um, that you might be missing out on certain nutrients. However, you can have a very well-planned plant-based diet um, that meets all of your nutritional needs. So... Um, yeah, I guess that's a bit of fact and fiction, actually, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. Sarah, did you know, that was a brilliant fact or fiction round and so informative. It just reinserts exactly why you are doing the job you are doing and why everyone in the Retrition Clinic that sees you is so lucky to have you. Um, I was just going, yes, yes, <laughs> every time you were speaking and in such a wonderful way, too. It does wrap up the episode, um, but with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. And I think mine today to start would be that nothing is black and white and be very careful, as I always say, who you go to for nutritional information. But I know that a lot of the time us health professionals may not be giving out wonderfully um, interesting information, but that's because we're so aware of the nuances and we're so aware of the unique situation everybody has. And I can see how people may get frustrated, like the question we had on, what is moderation? You know, what does it even look like? And you just want an answer. And we completely understand, but we'd need an hour in clinic with you at least to have a, a address your personal diets. Um, but ultimately, hopefully, if anybody is struggling and they're listening to this episode, there is help out there. And I'm sure that Sarah, when she gives her nugget of information in a minute, will be able to direct you to some wonderful resources. Yeah, that's such a good food for thought. And I think you're totally right. Everything is so individual. And yeah, there isn't any set answer because everyone is so, so individual, definitely. Um, I mean, what would be your, if you could give one food for thought for people today and then we can give some resources, what would that be? Yeah, I think, I guess my, my food for thought is thinking about the people that, that are out there that may well be struggling with with disordered eating or eating disorders and just to say that you are being really brave kind of coming forward and asking for support and acknowledging that maybe this is affecting you and you must be battling with so many difficult thoughts and emotions and mm. the people that, that I've I work with in clinic are just so amazing if being able to kind of say do you know what I need some support I need some help mm. and put in such a lot of hard work to be able to change that relationship with food and regain the control of their lives and have that much better relationship with food over time and I think that it's possible to do and I've been working with people with disorders, eating and eating disorders for, it'll be around about 10 years, I think, in, in October. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many people that have said, I don't think this is possible. And they have mm -hmm. had an amazing recovery. And I just want to kind of say, if you are suffering, if you are finding things really difficult, that recovery is possible. And mm -hmm. just getting the, the right people around you in your team to support you through that is is so so important mm. wow I, I mean Sarah lovely to finish on a high I actually think for a topic that is obviously extremely difficult you've navigated it with a very positive outlook which is really appreciated so where can you send people to get more help and how can they learn more about what you do so um obviously I'm working at the Retrition Clinic so um there's loads of resources on Rhiannon's website but also there's lots of charities out there as well yes. if you are suffering if you are finding things really difficult and you want to have a chat with someone um I know that there's obviously the Beat website that you can go to mm. and you can speak with someone on one of the helplines there um but your GP as well will be able to support you um and speak to the people that are in your lives as well 
and and say to them i need some support and and can you help me with this and if you need some more information um and think about okay how is this affecting me what support can i get the beat website is absolutely brilliant in terms of being able to give you those free resources and even information to take to your gp to say um, and this is what an eating disorder is and, and this is the support that I need um, and also getting the right support from the right people in terms of your registered nutritionists and your registered dietitians that work with people that have been through similar difficulties to yourselves. Oh Sarah thank you so so much and thank you for coming on Food for Thought today. Thank you so much for having me. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you are going to absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already, make sure you're subscribed. That way you will be the first to hear it every Monday. It would also be brilliant if you have the time to leave a review. These reviews are so crucial to make sure that we can reach more people and of course reach those higher highs in the charts. For more information about My Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. You can follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, don't forget The Science of Nutrition, my latest book, will be out December the 30th, 2021. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.